Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. What I want to do for the sermon today is reinforce the sermon that we received last week. And I, wonderfully, it ties in with the sixth point of the Bible study today, that those of us who are called and who understand God's truth and who have partaken in the Holy Spirit, we are the most at-risk people on the planet. There is the most risk over our heads. And I want to address that today by reinforcing the message that we received last week. For those of you who weren't here, Uh, Pastor Murray began his message by holding up two pies that looked very different. And he asked us, what is the difference between these two pies? And we were, you know, one is finished, one's not finished. Um, We were all kinds of different things we were trying to come up with, and we couldn't figure it out. And then finally we landed on the only difference between these two pies. They're exactly the same. They were treated exactly the same way, but they look totally different. They were totally different. The quality was totally different. And the only difference was the order in which the ingredients were added. That was the only difference. And it made all of the difference. There was a world of difference simply because of the order. He took us then to 2 Peter. If you go to 2 Peter 1, Second Peter 1 and verse 5, where there are seven attributes that we are encouraged to develop. And these are on top of faith. So first, he's speaking to the people of faith, those who share this faith. If we share this faith, he's then saying, add these seven principles or seven attributes, right? So the first one being virtue, and Pastor Ramakan mentioned this morning, we should be people of excellence, and that's what virtue means. It means excellence. We should be people of high quality uh, and excellence. So add virtue to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly love, and to brotherly love, agape. This message, I, I believe you called it a recipe for godly character. A recipe, it, it's, on, it's on the website. If you haven't heard it, please listen to this message. If you have heard it, listen to it again. There are some nuances in there that go over your head the first time. It's worth listening to again several times, I think. It's a very, very critical message. One of the messages that just struck me so profoundly in this message because it's answered a question that I've had for decades. And the question, well, let's go to um, John 13. Just keep your place in Second Peter 1. We're going to come back. Let's go to John 13. We're all very familiar with this passage in John 13. We certainly read it every year at Passover. John 13 and beginning in verse 34. He says, A new commandment I give unto you. And again, Pastor Murray did speak on this nuance of the new commandment. But a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. This is the command from Christ. That we love one another. As I have loved you. So there's a specific way we ought to love one another. This agape. In this way, you also love one another. By this shall all men know. Again, we go back to this. All. All men know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. Sounds so simple. Sounds so beautiful. And yet, brethren... In my decades in the church, we have failed. On the whole, we have failed. 
I'll go further and say it's been a disaster. We've had ministers who should be exemplars abusing God's people. We've had God's people abusing each other. We, we have a long record that to stand before God with this record beside us, we have nothing to do but hang our head in shame. It's a disaster. I think here in our congregation, we have really, really worked hard to weed out human nature and to strive to love one another, to make this a safe place, we said. We had a road map, and we made very, very clear what our goals are. But still, we can do better. But the question that I had was, why? You know, I, I think the reaction would be, if this is God's church, I don't want anything to do with it. And yet it says, this is how you, you'll know. People will know that you're my disciple. So why? And Pastor Murray answered it very visually by showing that the order in which you add the ingredients matters. And, and I've, I've, to me, this is great. This is very simple. A new commandment, agape one another. So just agape one another. But what the sermon brought out last week is that agape is the seventh of seven attributes that must be added in a stepwise manner. So you can't start with agape. You know, if you fly, I just flew back from Florida this week, every time you fly, what they tell you is if they lose oxygen in the cabin, the oxygen masks will drop. Apply the mask to yourself first before you try to help anybody else. Even if you have a baby, you put the mask on yourself first, then you help others. And that's what this, what Pastor Murray brought out. We must engage in the first five attributes first before we can even get to philia, never mind agape. In, in Jamaica, they have a saying, empty bag can't stand when breeze blow. Let me translate that for you, <laughs> if you're wondering. <laughs> it means if you have an empty bag there and the wind blows, it just blows it anywhere. But if you put something in the bag, it is established. And the breeze can blow, but the bag isn't going anywhere. In the same way, we as Christians, if we don't have these first five attributes, as was brought out last week, when there is crisis, we will not have the resources within us to express philia to one another, to express agape to one another. So we must have that Holy Spirit connection flowing in ourselves first before we can help others. And we heard again from the Bible study, we're not here for ourselves. We're here for others. And we heard in the Bible study as well, we cannot lead double lives. We're either in this or we're not. And, and what we want to look at now is how do we remove the risk that we are under? We are at risk of burning in hell. These people are not at risk of burning in hell. We are. How do we remove the risk? And it was covered in the sermon last week, which we want to reinforce now. Let's go to Second Peter 1, verse 12. I don't want to apologize for reinforcing a message that you've already heard, for those of you who were here last week. Look in the very same passage what Peter has to say about repeating himself. He says here in 2 Peter 1 and verse 12, Therefore, I will not be negligent. I will not be negligent. I'm going to do this. I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. So this message about these seven attributes that we have to build in a stepwise manner, Peter is saying, I'm not going to be negligent in putting you always in remembrance of these things, although you already know them. So this is a message that they've already heard. It's a very, again, Pastor Murray brought out, Peter was a very practical man. Paul was very intellectual, had a, you know, very clear in explaining, maybe not always very clear, but very uh, uh, deliberate in explaining the doctrines. Peter's very practical and, and gives them a very practical lifestyle. Or, and gives us through them 
a very practical lifestyle that we must engage in. And he says, you already know these things. It's so basic. It's so fundamental. And yet I'm going to keep repeating myself. You know, I had lunch with a, a former Olympian uh, a few weeks ago. And she is now helping entrepreneurs with the, the learning that she gained training for the Olympics. And she said to me, the only difference between athletes who compete at the level of the Olympics, the champions, and everybody else, she said, the only difference, the champions go over the basics over and over and over again. They establish a foundation upon which they build everything else. They say the other athletes, they don't deal with the basics. They aren't trying to do fancy things. And she was a, a gymnast. So they aren't trying to do the fancy things. The, the athletes who compete at an Olympian level stay at the fundamentals. They master the basics. And that's what Peter is saying here. I've given you the basics. Master them. And you haven't mastered them, so I'm going to remind you of them. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you of them. To put you always in remembrance of these things, although you know them, and you're established in the present truth. So two things. You already know them, and you're established. But you're still at risk. Knowing them and being currently established is not enough to save you. So I'm going to keep repeating myself. Yes, I think it's necessary, I think it's appropriate that as long as I am in this tabernacle, and I don't know how much longer I have, but as long as I'm alive, I'm going to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly, I'm going to die. I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. So I'm, I'm checking out. I'm going. But as I look at you, I'm going to keep putting you in remembrance until my last breath. Because I want you there. Moreover, I will, I will endeavor that you may be able, after I have died, to have these things always in remembrance. So, so think of just how important this is. Basics, it's fundamentals. Okay? We're people of faith. Here are the fundamentals. Add to our faith virtue. Add to our virtue, knowledge. Add to our knowledge, self-control. Add to our self-control, perseverance. Add to our perseverance, godliness. Add to our godliness, brotherly love. Add to our brotherly love, agape. These are the basics. Now, I'm not embarrassed, and I'm not going to be negligent about reminding you of these things, even though you're established, and you know them already. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to keep reminding you of these things, even though I know I'm going to be dead soon. I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. And even after I die, I want you to have these things in remembrance. Are we getting how significant this is? Okay. Let's go back to verse 5. where it says, beside this, giving all diligence. So giving all diligence doesn't mean, let's give it a try. It doesn't mean, let's play at this. It means, let's throw our entire being at this. So here are the seven steps. Let's not be casual. Let's stir up the spirit within us. Let's stir up our soul. Let's go at this like it really matters. Like this is it. The gun goes off, you run, and you, you, you do, it's an all out, it's an all out, I don't want to say sprint because it's a marathon, but it's, but it's all out. It, this is the record. Your time is your time. When you cross the finish line, that's it. There's no do over. There's no second chance. This is it. So let's not go at this halfway. These seven attributes if we're people of faith, we need to go at with all diligence. And he, he gives us the attributes. Now, verse 8. For if these things be in you, if, we don't know, maybe, maybe I'm playing, right? 
Maybe I just went to the tailor, said, fix me up with a nice suit and tie. I need to look good in front of the brethren, right? Go to the dentist, get my teeth looking nice. And I come and I look the part. But you don't know what I do when I travel. You don't know what I do when I'm in a hotel room by myself. Maybe I'm leading a double life. So if these things are in you, not just because we're here doesn't mean they are in us. So let's assume that they are. And not just that they're in us, but that they abound. We are really doing this. We're throwing ourselves into this. And we are building these attributes in such a way that they are not just in us, but they're in us in abundance. There's no room for anything else. You know, if this, uh, this cup is not full, if I want to, I can put orange juice in here. I could put poison in here. I could put sand in here. If I fill it up, then there's no room for anything else. If it's overflowing, there's no room for anything else. So if we are overflowing with these attributes, there's no room for nonsense. We're focused. If they're in us and they abound, so two conditions, they must be in us and they must abound. They make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It means that it's possible for us to be in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and be barren and unfruitful. So just because we're in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is no guarantee that we're productive. But if these things are in us and they abound, we will never be barren or unfruitful. It's God's good pleasure that we bear fruit. So we want to be in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we want to be in this knowledge in such a way that we're not barren. And again, these attributes, I'll point back to the sermon last week where Pastor Murray spoke about knowledge and the danger of having knowledge. But if we have knowledge in the context of these seven attributes, then the knowledge will make us productive and, and enable us to bear fruit. Verse 9. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. So there's people who can see and there's people who can't see. And there's people who are nearsighted, but they can't see afar off. So we can be together and we can be both looking in the same direction, but you see what's afar off. And because I'm nearsighted, I, I only see what's near. I, I don't see anything coming. Could be a train coming that's going to collide with us, and I can't see it. I'm blind. In other words, this present evil world is very attractive to some. It's got a lot of distraction and a lot of desirable things. And there are people in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ who only see this world and who are only motivated by what they can get in this present world. And they cannot see afar off. They don't understand that a new world is coming, that a new order is coming, that things are going to be very different here. They can't see that. That's not real. What's real is what we see now. They're blind to what's coming, even though they're in Christ. So he that lacks these things is blind. So we can be in the church but lack these things and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So he is in the covenant. The Passover has been applied and yet he's forgotten. We are the people at most risk. This can happen to anybody. So how do we remove the risk? Wherefore the rather, brethren, the opposite, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Sounds to me like Peter is saying, don't get cocky. Don't buy into once saved, always saved. No such thing. You give diligence. Go all out to make your election sure. Just because you're elected is no guarantee. We are people most risk. 
However, remove the risk. There's something you can do to remove the risk. And it is to give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Four, notice this promise. If you do these things, you shall never fall. There it is. There is the removal of the risk. We are the people most at risk, but if we do these things in the order that they are prescribed, the risk is removed. We will never fall. So does that mean, then, that salvation is a matter of works? We simply do these works, and we're saved. That seems to contradict the word. And, and not at all. Not at all. It's a very bold promise. If we, and, and again, we just remind you to listen to this sermon from last week, a recipe for divine character. If we do these things, we'll never fall. Why will we never fall? Verse 11. Is it because of our works? If we do these things, we have salvation? No. Verse 11. For so, by doing these things, an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's God who saves. And if we do these things, he's saying, not only will God bring us into the kingdom, it's not a reluctance. Oh, okay, let's bring you in. It's an, the door swings wide open and says, come on in. Why? Because God is love. God is agape. And if we can achieve agape, we become part of what God is trying to do. This whole world needs agape. It needs people who are willing to sacrifice themselves for the salvation of others. But how do we achieve agape without collapsing? We can't just go from carnality to agape. No, it's seven steps to agape. So as we go through these seven steps, by the time we get to agape, we're established. We have substance. We're not easily moved. We're not easily shaken. And it's at that level of agape that the doors swing wide open. And God says, great, come on in. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. Verse 12. Wherefore, and we, we read this earlier, this is why he's not negligent to put us in remember. This is why there was so much emphasis that he says, right to my dying breath, I'm going to keep reminding you of these seven steps. And even after I die, I hope you'll keep remembering these seven steps. Because as you apply them and you get the result, we saw the difference in the result. You can go at it carelessly, doesn't matter what order, just haphazard, and you get a result, but I'm not going to serve that to anybody, much less not to my king. But you follow the ingredients and you get the result that the recipe says you will get. It looks just like the picture in the book. Wow, I followed the instructions. And it came out just like the picture in the book. This is what I'm going to serve to the king. So are we going to go at this diligently so that we can serve ourselves to the king with the result that he's looking for? Or are we going to go at haphazard and present garbage to the king? This is why he's not negligent to keep reminding them. And he says, even after he's dead, have these things in remembrance. Why? Why is this so important? Verse 16. This is why. We have, not, we, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Cunningly devised fables. It means, uh, the word is sovitso. It means to render wise. It means that there are these myths, fables, nonsense, garbage, untruth, false doctrine that is going to be presented to us in such a way that, you know, that, that sounds pretty good. That, that sounds plausible. You know, actually, I'm really beginning to see things now. I, you know, I really see now where the church of God is wrong. And we should. You can worship God any day. 
I, I see so clearly how God is a trinity. These are not, they're not fables, plain fables. They're cunningly devised. In other words, my mind and your mind are no match for these fables. These fables are designed to take us down, take us out of play. And they're designed by Satan himself. So you're called to come into God's kingdom, and I'm called. And Satan is not just watching us and saying, oh, wow, okay, well, oh, well, I guess they're out of bounds. He's after us. And he's after us with cunningly devised fables. And we have to withstand this. We, we don't just go from here to the kingdom. We go from here through cunningly devised fables to get into the kingdom. So we have to be very, very careful about the doctrines that we entertain. And, and Pastor Murray said it once that God's truth fits. It all fits together into a system of truth. You try to play with one and everything else falls apart. You, you learn a doctrine here and you understand over here and then you understand over here and it's like you turn on the light and you can see everything clearly. But our minds cannot withstand these fables. We're, we're easily tossed about to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That's who we are. But God wants to protect us from this. So he's saying now, you make your calling and election sure. Because we have not followed cunningly devised fables. You know. I'm not sure how it's going to go with you, but I'm going to keep reminding you of these things until I die. And then after I die, I hope you'll keep remembering these things. But what I am telling you is, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Now it's up to you what you do. I'm about to check out. And I know that I'm free and clear of these cunningly devised fables. I don't know how it's going to go with you. But I'm going to keep reminding you. So we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we can see afar off. Some people don't see this anymore. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. This is referring to the transfiguration. So they saw the glory of Christ. And they know what they're dealing with. And they taught that cleanly. No, no deviation, no corruption. That's not to say that everybody's like this. There's lots of teachings. In, in early Christianity, lots of versions of Christianity. Lots of cunningly devised fables. We have also a, sh a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But there were false prophets among the people, Even as, in the same way, in a similar manner, there shall be false teachers among you. Okay? False doctrine destroys. We don't play with doctrine. And that's why you see here every week, Brother Jan, Brother Murray, myself, we sacrifice to make sure that we bring meat in God's house. And we have... Um, elders who visit us, like Pastor Ramakan today, who bring spiritual meat. If you love me, feed my people. If you love me, feed my flock. We don't mess about. We make sure that the truth is taught. Because, and, and this again answers a question. <laughs> is it enough? No. Knowledge is just one of the seven steps. But it's an important and necessary step. We have to grow in the grace and knowledge. But there are other teachers who are going to teach you, try to teach you, who are going to give you doctrine, cunningly devised. It's going to sound good. Good enough at least, at a, at a bare minimum, enough to confuse you. 
and make you say, like, I'm not sure. Ideally, have you reject truth and run after fables. So the same way there were false prophets among the people, in the exact same way there shall be false teachers among you. And that's why I'm going to keep reminding you of these seven steps. Somehow, the seven steps and protection from false doctrine are connected. Somehow the seven steps and assurance, confidence in salvation, are connected. Somehow these seven steps are fundamental to our salvation. But we are, at, of all people, we know the truth. We are most at risk. If we are taken out by cunningly devised fables, our future is consumption by fire. Cease to exist. And he goes straight to doctrine. So we have to be very, very careful about the doctrines we entertain. Are they part of the grand narrative of God? Do they fit into the holy day plan? Do they fit into the overall schema and system? Or are they just kind of over here by themselves sounding interesting? If they're just kind of over there by themselves, we need to be suspicious. If they don't fit in, and in, in fact what they should do, when you understand a doctrine, it should help you understand other doctrines even better. So, so as Pastor Ramakan is talking about, are they lost? That's one subject. But while he's talking about that, you're beginning to think, oh, now I understand this better. And that verse now makes more sense. Because when the light goes on, you see things more clearly. In, you see everything more clearly. So we don't entertain doctrines randomly. Oh, what about this? Oh, yeah, that sounds good. They must be part of, a, of God's narrative, the holy day plan of God. So the same way we have these false teachers who privately will bring in, what will they bring in? Damnable heresies. Unbelievable. In the house of God, they're going to sneak in damnable heresies. And there will be brethren who will entertain it and be taken out of play. Even denying it will be so bad that the, 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 the heresies will be so extreme, they will even deny the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So they've forgotten the Passover covenant. And, and now they're taking these damnable heresies and, and denying the Lord. Notice verse 2 now. Second uh, Peter 2, verse 2. So they're going to bring in these damnable heresies. We're going to have false teachers among us. And many, not a few, many. I'm telling you, brethren, we are no match for cunningly devised fables. We're no match. So when these cunningly devised fables come, what happens? Many are taken out of play. Again, there's something to do with these seven steps and not being taken out of play. Many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And we've seen it. Uh, anybody who's been in the church any length of time knows our legacy. We've seen many taken out of play. Again, he's saying, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. Now I'm putting you in remembrance of these things. It's up to you. Are you going to follow cunningly devised fables? Verse 3. And through covetousness, this is how it's done. Through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you. So remember that they, they're nearsighted. They can't see afar off. The future doesn't matter to them. All that matters to them is this present world. And there are things in this present world, whether it's cars or women or men or big screen TV, whatever, big house. These are the things they see. And in their soul is a desire for these things. In order to get these things, they're making merchandise of you. Merchandise means commerce. They're going to business on you. So you're going to see maybe leaders who want you in their church. And if you leave their church, you're in the lake of fire, in the lake of fire because they need your money. They're going to make merchandise of you. 
whose judgment now of a long time lingers not, and their damnation slumbers not. And then he goes on to say, if God's spirit not... So this is, this is now what's going to happen to them. We, we're, we need to know what's going to happen to them so we don't follow them. But we're still concerned. We're still trying to answer the question, how do we make our calling and election sure? How do we make sure we don't stumble? So, for if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So all the ungodly were flooded and died in the flood, but Noah was saved. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, we heard that in the study, into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example to those who should live ungodly. But he delivered Lot, who was vexed with their filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Verse 9. This is the verse. This is the focus. We don't earn salvation. God calls us to salvation. It's a gift. But he's looking for something from us. Divine character. Godly character. We can't be in God's kingdom and we're full of covetousness. We're full of lies. We're full of anger and murder. And we want to be in God's kingdom. It doesn't work. So the seven steps are about building the character of God to the point where we have the love of God so that we can be in the Godhead and carry out his purpose. That's why he swings the doors abundantly open to us to come into the kingdom. And then he says this in verse 9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Who does he deliver out of temptations? The godly. So when we go to make the pie, if we throw in the ingredients any old way and get a, a random result, that's not a godly pie. God's not going to deliver that pie. If we look at the recipe book, look at the result that God is looking for, put in the ingredients the way the recipe book says to put them in, and do what the recipe book says to do, then we get the result that God says, that's godly, I want that on my table. So we don't save ourselves, we don't, we don't earn salvation, we just obey God, so that we can be fit for use. This is a, a new world is coming, we heard today. All the nations are going to be coming to us for instruction. We need to be fit for use. We, we need to be uh, compliant with the law so that we can teach all nations. So if we are godly, if the pie comes out right, God knows how to put the pie on his table. If the pie comes out random, that goes in the trash. There's no way God is going to put that pie on the table. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. So you saw Noah was delivered, Lot was delivered. The angels were not spared. The ungodly, Sodom was not spared. God knows what he's doing. How to deliver the righteous and also how to deliver the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Two pies. One's just, one's unjust. One is delivered, one is punished. Therefore, the rather brethren, verse, oh, so going back to verse 10 where he says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you by God, abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So because we've achieved that pinnacle of character of agape, he says, an entrance will be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. Forever we will be fit for use. If we have achieved agape of substance forever in the everlasting kingdom, we will be fit for use. 
It's a beautiful promise. Fit for use forever. And we make our calling and election sure. Back to 2 Peter 2. And verse 10. Speaking of those that are to be punished, chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. Again, it's this nearsightedness. They want what's here. They want physical things. And there's a lust in their soul for what's here now. And they despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, and they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. These, these attributes here are very similar to the ones we saw in Jude when he was speaking about the spots on the agape feast. And, and the difference was they were, we were about agape and the spots were selfishness. And he was showing this, this contrast between agape, love for others, and selfishness. Same thing here. There, there, there's spots on the agape. Presumptuous are they, self-willed, not God-willed, self-willed, and they're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, just consumed with themselves, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they do not understand, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption." And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots are they and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. So very much a parallel to what we saw in Jude. Notice now, having eyes full of adultery. They're, they're nearsighted. Instead of eyes full of God's kingdom, they have eyes full of adultery. That cannot cease from sin. They are so corrupt, it's just so ingrained that they just lust, 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 lust. Now, this is the part. These same spots are beguiling unstable souls. Is our soul unstable? Are we an empty bag that when the breeze of lust blows... We go anywhere. When cunningly devised fables present themselves, we go anywhere. The way for us to stabilize our souls is to, to focus on these seven attributes. We are, we are people of faith. But we don't stop there. We pursue with all diligence virtue. On top of that, we add knowledge. On top of that, we add self-control. We have control of ours, over ourselves. Then we add perseverance, patience. Then godliness. Then on top of that, philia. And then agape. If we do these things, we shall never fall. We, we, we will have stable souls. And whether it's false doctrine or presentation of, of lust and covetousness, we're not going there. We're stable. We're far-sighted. We're, we're, we're fixed on the kingdom. They beguile unstable souls. So there's an opportunity. Again, it says many. Just as there were false teachers there, there'll be false teachers here. And it's not a few. Many will be taken out. Beguiling. So there's many unstable souls. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices, practices cursed ch children, which have forsaken the right way. So they were in the right way, but they've forsaken it and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Basor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And then let's drop down to verse 18. Again, those, that, that phrasing there, you see very similar phrasing in verse 17 to, to, to the book of Jude. Uh, verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure how? Through the lusts of the flesh. We have to decide, brethren. Are we playing? Or are we far-sighted and throwing our entire being at what we see afar off? 
or do the trappings of this world attract us? So they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who, who live in error. So, so there are those that have come into the covenant, clean escaped, and now they're being trapped again because their souls were unstable. While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. So I'm, I'm coming with some great swelling words, some cunningly devised fables, promising you liberty. Meanwhile, I'm a slave of sin. In, in my private hours, I'm completely seduced and trapped by sin, but I put on a nice suit and have nice fancy words for you, and you come and follow me. Instead of being stable. Instead of being established. They themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought in bondage. For, this is, again, you've heard it in the Bible study in Hebrews. We're hearing it again here. It's not once saved, always saved. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, after they've escaped, they've taken the Passover, they're in the covenant, they're free and clear, if after all of this, after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge, and again, the, what we learned from the pastor last week, knowledge is not enough. But they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled therein, and this time overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Them, we can say us. Because we, through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've escaped the pollutions of this world. And again, think of your own experience. Do you know brethren who were in the truth and who've now been taken out and overcome by, the, by this world? So they're again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse. In the beginning, they were overcome by these things, but they were not called. They were not lost. They would die, come up in the second resurrection. The books would be open. They'd be instructed. And, and we believe for the most part, these billions of people will be in the Godhead. But if they take the covenant and come into the covenant community and then go back Now it's far worse. For it had been better, verse 21, for them not to have known the way of righteousness. Again, this ties in with uh, are they lost? It, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it. Notice, after they have known it. To turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. I don't know if you've ever seen, oh, I don't want to be too gross, but dogs do this. They, they throw up, turn around, come back, and, and take the vomit. The very vomit that's trying to get out of their system, they bring it back in. That's disgusting, if you've ever seen that. But it's not as disgusting as a covenant brother or a covenant sister who's escaped the vomit of this world, turns around and goes right back into it, having known the truth of Jesus Christ. We are destined, listen to me carefully, don't hear what I'm saying. By, let me prefix it. By nature, we are destined to fail. We don't have the intellect to withstand Satan's cunningly devised fables. We don't have the spiritual discipline to withstand his temptations. But there's a way that we can guarantee that we never fail. 
and that we never fall. And it is simply to build these seven attributes, the pinnacle being agape, that when we do this, God swings the doors wide open, abundantly, to bring us into the kingdom. And it is God who knows how to deliver the godly from temptation. So when we become godly, we are destined to succeed. No no power can take us down or take us out. So the question is, will we be people of substance? Because in the end, it's not how we appear to one another that matters. Judgment is in the house, uh, on the house of God. Very interesting passage this morning. We are not, it's not like a judgment day. It's a judgment life. It's an evaluation. We are under evaluation now. And God is looking to say, yes, no, yes, no. And he wants to say yes, and he's giving us everything possible so that he can say yes. Look at uh, chapter 3. Second Peter 3, verse 11. Uh, Andrew read this earlier. We're farsighted. We don't just see today. We see far out. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. So everything here, all going to be dissolved. And then God the Father is actually going to make his home on earth. And Christ is going to turn everything over to the Father. Seeing then that all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be? in all holy conversation and godliness, we can answer. The kind of persons we ought to be are people who who go full out developing those seven attributes. That's the answer. That's the manner of persons we ought to be. Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Therefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, full out, all out. You know, when you're running a race, you're not running the race and saying, oh, what's that? Oh, oh what's that? Oh, oh, look over there. You're just focused on the finish line. That's all you see. Wherefore, beloved, Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written to you. And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also with other scriptures, unto their own destruction. So even if we don't understand some of Paul's writings, they have to, the interpretation, the understanding has to fit in the grand narrative. It can't contradict the plan of God. Ye therefore, beloved, and again, we're going to have these cunningly devised fables where the scriptures are twisted, especially if they're unclear. We need to go back to clarity and work from there. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. It is possible, brethren. We can be steadfast. We can be established. He said, I know you know these things. I know you're established in the present truth. I'm going to keep reminding you of them. Because you can still lose your footing. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I want to conclude, brethren, back in Second Peter 1. Second Peter 1 and verse 1. Simon Peter, 
a servant, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm only speaking to them who have received precious faith like us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So this is a, this is a, a closed communication. It's not to everybody. It's just to people of faith. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. I, I wonder if you see what a big role knowledge plays. But it has to be contextualized by these seven attributes. According as his divine power. So we don't earn salvation. We don't work our way into salvation. It's his divine power. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge, again the role of knowledge, of him that has called us to what? Glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us as exceeding great and precious promises. That by these promises, they're exceeding and they're great. We're not nearsighted. We're farsighted. We see the promises. They've been given to us. By these great and precious promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature. Agape. But there's steps to get there. We don't just jump there. There's, there's a growth pattern. There's a plan to get there. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he opens the letter saying to the brethren, you've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But we know that later in the letter, he's going to say, so did others. But they went back to their vomit. So escaping the world, the lust of the world, it's not enough. Don't pat yourself on the shoulder yet. Go full out developing these attributes so that you will never fail. So where you are now, you're doing well. But until I die, I'm going to keep reminding you of these seven attributes. And after I die, I hope you'll still remember these attributes. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Because people partake of the nature... And then having partook of the nature, they go back to the vomit. And it's worse for them than had they never participated in this. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then he says, and beside this now, now that we're, this is the situation, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, agape. For, if these things be in you, and they abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how God will save us. This is how we become fit for use. So the message today, brethren, is to say, if you didn't hear the message last week, Please listen to it. A recipe for divine character. And if you did hear the message last week, please listen to it again. Because Pastor Murray goes into these seven attributes in detail and really underlines how important it is to build them in a stepwise manner. Again, I'm going to reiterate what Pastor Ramakan said earlier. We are the people most at risk on the planet. There are billions of people. You know, sometimes I wake up and I just say, Lord, why me? Why do I understand these things? And I'm sure you do too. The other thing we should say is, why me? Why am I carrying so much risk on my shoulders? We are the people most at risk. But then when we ask that question, the next thing that should come to mind is, oh, we have insurance. We have insurance against risk. And this is how we ensure that we never fail. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.